imaginary. Hi friends. This is Ross Sutherland here, um, host of Imaginary Advice. It's uh, It's been a while. The podcast is currently still on hiatus, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm working on a bunch of new episodes right now. However, <laughs> due to having a new baby, things are taking slightly longer than I anticipated. I get a few hours to work on the show every day, but I'm not yet fully back to uh, writing full-time, sadly. So currently, I'm planning to bring the show back very, very early in 2024. Um, Once I have an exact date, I'll drop a little update on the feed. In the meantime, I've decided to unlock a bit of paywall content for the main feed. Two episodes that were originally made as Patreon-only episodes. Now, uh, in case you don't know, for the last few years, I've made a second Patreon-only podcast called Imaginary Reprise, uh, in which I revisit old stories from the main feed and talk about them with a special guest, usually another writer or artist of some kind. It's basically a chance to open up a dialogue about the creative process in general and just an excuse to hang out with another artist, really. Um, If you're interested, you can get the entire back catalogue of Imaginary Reprise by subscribing to my Patreon. Now, because my Patreon is currently frozen while I'm on hiatus, if you subscribe right now, uh, as far as I understand it, Patreon basically takes one month's fee, that's around $5, and nothing else uh, until the show returns properly next year. Um, The episodes that I'm releasing today are kind of thematically appropriate for the season. I'm releasing this on Halloween. So uh, I've selected my two-part discussion on my story, Exorcist Dave Stewart. Now, if you're not familiar with that old episode, uh, you can find it uh, by scrolling back up the Imaginary Advice feed. It's quite a while ago. It's episode 33. 33. Um, I've also included a direct link in the show notes of this episode right here. Um, For this discussion, I'm joined by the writer, actor and stand-up Angus Dunnikin. Angus has written several audiobooks for Doctor Who, which I highly recommend. His second stand-up special is also now on YouTube in full. It's called The Vanity Project. And you can find out more about Angus and his work at angusdunnican.com. So here's part one of two of Angus and I talking about the story Exorcist Dave Stewart. So, uh, Angus, hello. Here comes the rain again, uh, <laughs> falling on my head like a memory, falling on my head like a new emotion. Uh, and that and that emotion is podcasts. We're here today talking about 
Exorcist, Dave Stewart. Your first foray into the multi-parter. This is this is this is big news. Um, yeah. yeah, this if, is the if that's right. Yeah, it, it 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 completely is, and I think that's kind of an interesting place to to start. If that's okay, because exactly what I was going to ask you about first. Yeah, I have no back catalogue, so every single time I've written a multi-parter, I haven't written the second part when I published the first part because I don't know necessarily where the stories are going. I kind of just like try to create enough loose ends uh uh at the end of the first part that i can spin off in a different direction for the for the next part mm. that's true also this one but it's also to, for example we we've already spoken about uh the the sex in the city the return uh two-parter mm. and i think that's often why like my two-parters often each part is, is is quite often in like a different genre or is kind of riffing on like a different thing so in sex in the city part one is interested in cultures around modern theater mm. and then part two is kind of interested in sort of cultures around video gaming right it sort of twists to become about sort of speed running and stuff like that well that was going to be my that was going to be my first question because i was curious to know whether or not you'd done a george lucas here and you'd and you'd sat down and you'd written a big thing and you realized it was too big and then so then you had to cut it in half or as it now transpires it's, it's more about um the thing that I think is actually really fun, which is that thing of just sort of throwing your cap over the wall and then making yourself go and get it, <laughs> which is which, which is which is sort of more yeah. what you've done here. Yeah, yeah. and like, I'm not saying this is like gr great storytelling because I'm sort of I feel like no, what, what no, this is. I think it's great. <laughs> I mean, like when it goes wrong, if you look at like a TV show like Lost, which I guess is like. <laughs> The ultimate ne example of that. Never that's... was there a greater sort of wonderful framing irony to the title of a show. Never <laughs> was there. It just, just it's like it's so obvious, but there anyway. Where it's, it's just... like it's not just one cap thrown over the wall. It's like five hundred caps thrown pile over of the caps. wall. Yeah. Like if you if you shimmy over the wall, you'll land in a soft pile <laughs> of caps. And maybe that was the final intention that you yeah. just throw enough over that it's like, but whatever happens, it'll be fine. It's gonna gonna break your fall. Uh, but you ended up drowning in caps. caps. You kind of went through them, and it kind of yeah, right. So like I I know it's not great, but like and, and it's but it's something specific, I guess, to how I have to work for the podcast a little bit. No, but I I honestly don't think it's I don't I don't think it's a matter of good or bad or, or whatever. Like I I was, I was you know I, I was I was just curious to know, and it's in, and I think it's really interesting that that is the process because then what happens then is is that it it becomes a semi-improvisational process with yourself and you get that lovely leave it in a drawer for a week feeling, which is one of the nicest things you can get with writing sometimes. It's something I've been doing quite a lot of recently. I've just been, I've just been doing some intuitive writing classes and, and it's been really lovely doing, just doing that thing of, of, of not, of deliberately not looking at it for a week and then allowing yourself to to do the archeology span with yourself and, and, and discover the documents yourself. And I think, I think it's cool. You're right. It is, it is lovely when, you know, like, because once you're in the middle of writing something, of course you get you get over concerned with the minutiae of it, and then being able to like put it down and come back to it, yeah, like a week later and go, what the hell was I really on about here? Yeah, what is this actually about? Yeah, what yeah. was this actually about? <laughs> what I'm interested in, and, and and then suddenly the story pivots off in a different direction. And so, so I think like the if if we were to like like give a rough sort of like heading to both parts, I reckon like part one of Exodus Dave Stewart is a pretty straightforward satire on like the exorcist haunted house genre. Like I think the main thing that we're kind of tweaking here is like the demons more of like a sort of, 
pretentious hipster intellectual. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're mapping. You're, you're mapping. You're mapping a satire of the art scene onto onto the onto the yeah. the, the the structures and the codes and conventions of exorcism yeah. as, a, as, a, as a fiction. Yeah. Exactly. Rather than sort of like spiritually pious, like these characters are like culturally pious. Pious. So it. Yeah. So it. Yeah, it, it and like, yeah, and because yeah, I think the exorcist is the same. It's sort of similarly sort of like artistically like precocious. But like otherwise, mm. I think we're kind of borrowing a lot of like the tropes of like that kind of like existing world. And then yeah, I so I wrote up to the moment that kind of like the the demon is sort of initially kind of like summoned, or like the moment that like the the sort of the the exorcism proper begins. And that closes part one. And then part two is like, I mean, even like stylistically, it's in like a different tone and like the rhythm of it's very, very different. And it's more akin to Pact Act. It's very, it's, it's in a similar, t- sorry, I stopped you mid-flow there, but it's, it's in a similar tone to actually part one of the Sex and the City. It's it's much more, because it, t- it takes us, it takes us back to that um, because it does that reality rug pull and it takes us into that sort of that sort of that sort of saddened lost figure mm. <laughs> sort of wandering wandering the streets kind of thing yes yeah <laughs> it has that kind of yeah you're absolutely right yeah like it, it's yeah we kind of strip everything away from the narrator and it's oh well man it's tricky to talk about isn't it because it's like this manic postmodern clip show from about halfway through onwards yeah. uh and by the end we're sort of discovering that the demon has this kind of postmodern metatextual power to kind of step out of the narrative <laughs> and influence the story on an authorial level almost as if like the demon is possessing like like me uh yeah, yeah. so part one is about a demonically possessed house part two is more about a demonically possessed story story right. and yeah, I, and yeah, I, and I think yeah, that's yeah. the but, quickest way to sort of yeah the, the, yeah yeah and and the yeah and, and it's yeah i mean i remember the first time i listened to it i was like I, that, that my my initial takeaway was oh the demon is postmodernism, and it's and it's and it's got to ross <laughs> <laughs> like that's that, that that's 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 what felt like it was happening at least on my first listen through but that was like however long ago it was like a year ago 18 months no ago. I, I really like that i think that is <laughs> that is it it's the point where like yeah where it's like it's like in gremlins 2 when the gremlins get into the projection booth right and the film itself stops right you know like, yeah we get the, the shadows and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And then Hulk Hogan turns up. <laughs> exactly, Hulk Hogan turns up, and uh, you know, like, and that's my metaphor for Jesus Christ, and yeah. uh, it's a it's a spiritual redemption story. There was one thing I was going to say before starting, which is, um, I'm just to nip it in the bud. Now, it's, I don't, I have no real clear idea why I chose to name. Uh, the exorcist after the bloke from the eurythmics like that <laughs> that does not help like it, it already confuses a very very confusing story and like it like in retrospect probably wasn't like the uh like the, the, the smartest thing to do because i think it sort of maybe ends up yeah. l- like leaving this uh this 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 kind of slightly unexplained thing like people are like oh is this like some alternate universe where a bit like shogun assassin right like baby dave stewart had to like pick between <laughs> rather than the ball and the sword, he had to pick between like the Bible and like the little mini xylophone. And you know, like and, the ball and the sword. I forgot about that. And you know, like and in like and in reality he went he picked one way and in the podcast Wait, he picked yeah, the, the other. Way, yeah. Or 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 like or like the idea that maybe like Dave Stewart is like it actually is like an exorcist 
in his in his spare time. It's it's confusing, and I guess the only reason I did it was utter laziness because I was like, oh, I just want this this exorcist to have like kind of like rock star um, energy to him. I want him to have that kind of like arrogance, and and also maybe Dave Stewart looks a little bit. He does look a little bit like an exorcist, you know, when it particularly in his, if you look at pictures of him on Google, he's got like, yeah. you know, when he's wearing like the glasses and the hat and it's that lovely thing I like about that, that outfit, that get up where like, it's always notionally meant to be inconspicuous. Yeah. <laughs> right? well, okay. like the, uh, and yet it's the thing that draws more attention to you than anything. Here's, right? here's what I think you did here. And I think, I, and I think it's a good thing to do for audio fiction. Cause effectively what you've done is because the audience never knows what the characters are necessarily supposed to look like. So what you've done is you've given the audience a casting note for, <laughs> for whatever dolls they want to dress up in their brain in order to enact these characters. Because otherwise it just looks like you. In my head, he looks like you. In my head, <laughs> like, like no matter what, he just looks like Although, you. Although let's be honest, Angus, I look more and more like Dave Stewart <laughs> every day. It's like, it's like, like it's in the post. Well, we're, we're all, we're all sort of careering towards Dave Stewart really, aren't we? It's, it's the heat death of Dave Stewart. Like, we're all just. Ab sort of... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, of, it's with the event horizon of, uh, of all of us. Yeah. But I think that's a good i think that's a thing i think that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do because like yeah if, if you've if you've gone to enough castings you'll know that people basically just say we want this not this but this we sort of want this but not this and and they just give you <laughs> names of people who they've i've been cast as a simon peg type about three times and <laughs> and that's that's just the thing that happens uh, but I think it's fine. I think I think if you would like, I, and I think it's a perfectly legitimate. If you were to like, if you were to write a story called Robot Hunter David Bowie, I would be perfectly happy for you to do that. <laughs> uh, so a little bit of background to like these opening pages, which is that like I was really high on like medication. I was uh, I. <laughs> I'd had like an asthma attack a couple of weeks before. And when you have like an asthma attack, you get put on uh, like a course of steroids. And I fucking loved those steroids. They were like amazing. I remember talking when I went back to talk to like my, my doctor and I was like, these drugs, I feel like myself for the first time. I like, I, I, I'm not tired anymore. Like I feel more confident. And I was like, <laughs> in my head, you're saying to the doctor, like, do you want to go get some tweets? I was talking, let's keep, let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. You and me. <laughs> and the doctor was like, yeah, well, you know, but like if, if, if I kept you on them, uh, you know, they'd kill you. Uh, and so I like, but I, 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 I had a gig in uh, Geneva uh, weirdly and uh, I had to fly out of uh, London City Airport so I was already stoked to be flying out of London City Airport because it's the best uh, you know like very convenient but also you have to do this incredible like practically vertical takeoff and landing going into uh, London City because it's it's such a hard uh, inaccessible airport to get into uh, so I was yeah I was kind of on these um, steroids on this plane, uh, typing it away. And I think that does play into, like, <laughs> this is actually one of my favorite bits of writing that I've done for the podcast. And I think that does, that also plays into it as well. So, like, one of the major sort of inspirations, I would say, for this, uh, this, this story in particular, like its opening, is kind of, it kind of comes a little bit from uh the enfield haunting which of course is a tr true life uh haunting from uh, 1977 uh 
Um, and like that, I say true life haunting. It was the one that you read about in the book of mysteries that was in your school library, and it had was it was it was it the one that had the drawings on the wall? Was it that one? Um, I don't know. Is that is that the Osborne Book of Ghosts or maybe Osborne, like it might be one of those <laughs> very influential? And of course, it's like the inspiration to lots of other for like fictional ghost stories, uh, including a uh, big favorite of ours, Angus Ghost Watch. Uh, oh yes, love, like, love Ghost Watch. You know, like uh, uh, and also I think the film which I saw like really soon before writing this which was uh the conjuring 2 which i've I, never seen any of the conjurings i have to say it, it's yeah the conjuring 2 is not, i seem to remember liking the conjuring 1 a lot more but conjuring 2 is it's just it's this random grab bag of ideas for spooky things like everything's kind of just like chucked at the wall just to see what will stick and so it's mm. it's not particularly satisfying uh as a uh, as a film uh, but I think that was in my head. One thing that's quite often in these type of ghost stories is that like both the kind of ghost busting character and also like the writer themselves mm -hmm. tends to be like way, way more interested in the monster than they are like the poor people who the monster is terrorizing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it becomes it becomes more of an Ahab, uh, Moby Dick relationship at that stage, doesn't it? It becomes more about sort of yeah, your your, your sort of your, your, yeah, your exactly. nemesis relationship with the creature. Yeah, completely. Kind of and like the humanistic element of like what's happening to these people tends to get like gets to get lost along the way somewhere. Like they, the 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 victims tend to just get kind of like forgotten, and it becomes about who is this demon? What is their name? What happened to them, right? <laughs> or like, well, like, what do they want? As opposed to like, who are these? You know, like the yeah, like the the the, the actual people at like the, the 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 center of it. And I think like that's why yeah, like anyway, a lot of that goes into I think why I was like, okay, like so this is another story about a kind of supernatural expert stroke kind of a monster hunter character who descends on a uh beleaguered family who live in a council house and shows absolute contempt for them like completely <laughs> like i mean like father like david stewart is like he like he really does not give a shit about uh uh like this family at all i mean actually i'm, I'm getting slightly ahead there's a prologue isn't there where you get like the, uh, in the classic horror movie trope where you get to see like the finale of like the film before which yeah. ends in tragedy right so yeah, yeah, yeah. there's another priest called father abernathy and he loses his mind you know by going into this house and, and then he emerges later and he and he and he renounces god and joins a punk band and, and joins a punk band and calls himself oink oink yeah, yeah and that's <laughs> like and that's that uh and then you get like, like you know like it you you, you it cuts to i mean i, I say cuts because like we're, we're using very much like cinematic terms here i right? know sure but but that's but that's how you work it and also the fun th the, the lovely thing about the father abernathy prologue is is yeah it is yeah it, it the, the lovely thing about that is right up until the moment that he that he joins a punk band it's quite scary right up until the, right up, right up until that moment you've like oh shit because you are playing with the classic stuff you're playing with the man who went mad who saw the creature and you know like like there's that that's to be honest that that is one of my favorite horror tropes of all time which is the 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 the, the one who saw the one who survived and the one who saw like the mad witness the Mad Witness is one of my absolute. There's a there's there's a fantastic bit. And sorry, just as a brief aside, there's a fantastic bit in the original Boris Karloff Mummy, 
where there's like a clerk at the uh, at the office where the sarcophagus is and then it opens and then you just see you don't see the mummy leaving all you see is bandages going out the door like uh, but you but you see the clerk reacting to the mummy leaving and you see his mind break <laughs> and and then and then and then the people come in they're like johnson what happened whatever his name is and they're like, like what happened He's like, he went for a little walk <laughs> <laughs> fucking great <laughs> and, it's, and so like i i adore it whenever that comes up so like so i instinctively get very excited whenever that trope is invoked but like you immediately do a lovely leg sweep with it uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and take us to so that's good so you know you, it, it sets the tone really well i think there's a there's then yeah we go to salzburg and austria and we get to sort of yeah we meet our sort of like hero character and he's doing i don't know what he's, he's doing like like brass rubbings or something yeah he's doing brass rubbings yeah. And then he gets a, a text from the Vatican mm. uh, <laughs> uh, with, with some ghost emojis in it. And like, that's his kind of like, yeah, like, and, and then the next thing we know, he's kind of like traveling to, uh, to, to Birmingham uh, to, to basically to, to, to pick up from where Father Abernathy left off. Uh, and it's in that sort of taxi ride from the airport to uh, the, uh, the Neil's house where uh, we kind of get our proper um, Father David introduction and we get to sort of, we get to discover his accolades and also like we sort of learn about him through the objects he's got in his bag. Well, that was going to be my first thing is that what you're, what you, 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 I mean, you, I think I, I'm never, I'm never sure about whether this is just something that happens naturally as part of your writing process or if it's something that you kind of do and then fit in, but you're fucking great at list games. You are, <laughs> you are, you are, you are absolutely gorgeous when it comes to list games and uh, and 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 uh, and yeah the the portrait of the man by virtue of what's in his bag is that, that you get in this is there's a there's, yeah because both the aftershave and whatever blessed by his holiness is the backup bible and my fa- yeah. <laughs> but my favorite the fa- my favorite detail which is not even necessarily a portrait of a man it's just more just the, a, a detail that sort of that, that's about the absurdity of the church and and also that the universe that you're creating is the the pouch of special exorcist coffee that, <laughs> that only he can have <laughs> <laughs> i just think it's gorgeous so yeah so the, yeah and you do it you do it a few times in this there's a couple of others that i'll, I'll bring up later but like um uh, yeah this is the first of many very successful scene setting list games that you play oh, man. And i was curious to know like whether or not you do, i was I, I wanted to know whether or not you're writing something and you just find yourself playing a list game or if it's just part of some workshoppy world building that you have done that you later incorporate the sort of style of this first part uh of of this first podcast part is a lot closer to like a prose poem it's got it, it it moves it skips through time in like quite a a a yeah it 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 rarely actually ever like lets a scene play out things are kind of or, or like scenes are only like a, a couple of sentences long and then it kind of moves on to the next one and that's not quite so true in part two because it's doing other kind of like weird things but yeah part two decompresses much more heavily whereas yeah. the, whereas this the, whereas this is the epitome of a prologue this is this is a yeah this is a bunch of stuff this is this is this is the character this is a world this is a this is a this is a tone yeah i think a, the tone is the big part and I think that pacing, that 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 change of pacing of kind of like the, of the, that comes with like prose poems is actually like well suited to things like dropping almost like a, a, a list poem into the, uh, the 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 middle of a of a text. 
it's also i guess it's also like an exercise that i kind of do with creative writing students as well like it, i definitely do i've got like one exercise where it's just like all right you know tell me who a person is based purely on like what's in their pockets and i've got like another one where i'm like hey like we're cleaning staff at like a hotel all right and we can go into like any room in this hotel to clean up after like a guest that's been in there and i want to I want you to like paint a picture of like who who's been in this hotel room based purely by like the shit you find in that room when you go to like like clean it up. So like what's in the bathroom been, you know, like what's lying on the bed, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I, I love those games. Yeah, tiny tiny sort of list, listy crime scenes, sort of forensic lists. Absolutely. It's fun to have this this uh, this dismissive high status character to play with. It's fun to have that guy. It's fun to sort of to, to operate from that from that position i suppose well i i don't tend to write very high status characters very often but i presume it is <laughs> I, I don't know whether we spoke about this last time about like how difficult it is when you're you have to create characters for your story that essentially all have your voice and you're just like ah oh, but like i don't necessarily think like like the middle class white man <laughs> really should be the de facto kind of like uh misunderstood yeah. hero <laughs> yeah no no sure yeah uh, yeah but it's it's uh like one thing i really like and actually one of, some of my favorite jokes uh in both parts are like the bits where he gets to shout at people like later on in part two where uh when he when he goes to like propose to uh siobhan and then there's like an old man at another table who starts applauding <laughs> and he immediately goes shut up old man <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's a, it's nice being like playing a uh, a, 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 a dickhead. Uh, I, I completely. And like he arrives and immediately starts to dispense the side eye. Right, like he criticizes how the house is decorated. Like he agrees with the demon for like liquefying the Barbies. He's just like, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Like, and I, I, I like the fact that he doesn't even bother to learn their names. He just, he calls both Mr. and Mrs. Neil. Neil. He just calls them both Neil, Neil. which, which, which tick, tick, tickles me. I don't know. Like he's got this kind of self-righteous progressiveness to his spiel, right? Like, because he's this... Is this intellectual poser? Well, yeah, we get because which you know which you which you signal in various ways. Like there's a bit where he takes a photo and he sends it to his friend who owns a gallery in Brooklyn, and and it, you know it, you know there's, a, there's we, we are supposed to we are supposed to dislike him in a very particular way um, because of, yeah yeah <laughs> like, it's that kind of guilty pleasure antihero, isn't it? Yeah, where yeah, you're just yeah. like it's kind of nice being able to sort of like to yeah like to 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 both condemn someone whilst also kind of like. Yeah enjoying the trouble that they cause right yeah. i yeah i love the i love the i love the bit where i just yeah i really like the bit where he's talking about the feng shui in the room and he's like you tell me the energy in there is not perfect <laughs> it's really nice it's really really lovely there's a lot of overblown metaphors uh in this one as well which i guess is also part of that weird it's kind of prose poem feel to this uh thing like i i like um uh the afternoon passes like a school bus being slowly exhumed from a swamp i think that i like i mean it's the kind of thing you just i just can't get away with in normal prose again this call this falls into the bit where i think i like indulging in slightly bad writing practices right and i think that's a kind of thing that is so self-indulgent sure that like you just would never be but able to sort of like within within the bath sort of the bathetic tone and tone that you set with this from the off i mean that allowed the thing is is that you're 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 then allowed to take out stuff like that 
and frame it in that particular way and say, yes, this is a this is a bizarre metaphor or simile, but it's also a joke. Yeah. You do a really nice one, which is because you, you you first of all you call you're talking about Satan, comma the architect of I think the architect of sin is what you say, and then later on you bring up Satan again, but you decide to do like what's funny is that you sort of you 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 really screw down into the pretentiousness of the character and you call him the Cabusier of wickedness, <laughs> as the grandson of a of a of a, of a, of a big post-war modernist that you know that's that's laser that's laser targeted to make pretentious people like me love <laughs> this is like a weird thing to talk about and i think it's very interesting to talk about now because like i've got like i i talk about this in my creative writing classes and i'm pretty sure almost the entire story is apocryphal but i still like telling it and it's uh it's about this there's this essay by andre breton right where he quotes like this big passage of uh Dostoevsky and it's a bit from Crime and Punishment where Dostoevsky is just describing Raskolnikov's room and it's like this huge like page long description of like everything like that's uh in the room and you know like what's on the walls and getting into all these kind of like tiny little details and then after the quote uh Breton his first line response after the quote is he just goes what if I don't want to go in your room? And I, uh, <laughs> and I, and I, I like that a lot. And I, and I don't actually. I think it is almost entirely like, uh, like apocryphal. But I, <laughs> like, I. But there's something I like about that. I think both in terms of just like unnatural pacing, about both being able to like simultaneously just like skip over lots of details that aren't important and to keep the story kind of like moving at like a pace. So in that sense, I kind of like I, I, I think I, I, I sympathise with. Right on, but also, it's it's also kind of like uh, yeah, but yeah, I also do completely like the opposite as well, right? And it is just lovely to just like pause for no fucking reason at all and just to go very very deep into yeah. a kind of like a, a sidebar description of, of of kind of like something. Well, it speaks to it, like it's 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 quite a sort of fun sort of n- non neurotypical way of writing, isn't it? It, it sort of it it's, it it sort of speaks to sporadic obsessive focus, which is you know certainly how I live. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is so, yeah. so i so i i yeah I, I i like it it feels it feels sort of natural and humorous to me and i guess also what you got here is like a character the father david stewart character is the kind of person he he carries the energy of what if i don't want to go into your room like in, across like the entire like first half of the story he's only really interested in the things that he's interested in and whenever like you know like there's a part of the story which is supposed to be about him sympathizing or kind of supporting the Neils, he just like completely blanks them or ignores them uh in terms of like the list of like shit he does to them like he also he he sets their sofa on fire he criticizes their choice of haruki murakami novels this this is this is a question i wrote down ross you said because the thing is you said it, their shelves had the wrong haruki murakami novels so that begs the question bros what are the wrong haruki murakami novels <laughs> in your opinion i don't know they've just got like five copies of hard-boiled wonderland and the end of the world just like sitting on the that's ship. not the wrong one that's a good one <laughs> <laughs> that's not a wrong one okay let's say let's let's say just like five copies of the wind up bird chronicles oh, i've got a real oh, there's a pebble in my shoe about the wind up bird chronicle <laughs> there's a clue in the name it is a fucking wind up what's funny is that one of the major games that you're sort of playing with um with with the kind of the the, the the sort of the fun and games meat and potatoes bit in the middle of this first part is is 
is him exploring the house and him noticing stuff that they haven't noticed and him pointing out salient parapsychological details to them um about what's happening here but but with with the kind of the artistic sensibility mapped onto it and him sort of saying don't you and 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 the thing of like ah don't you see this is important and um and it's all sort of like riffs on and i know i i know this is a fairly obvious thing to allude to but it's it's all sort of riffs on the symmetrical book stacking scene from Ghostbusters, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Good point. it's it, yeah, Good which point. I I think is a, yeah, because there's a, there's that fantastic line that Bill Murray because yeah, because they're looking at it like symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia incident of 1920, and then Bill Murray's like, yes, no human being would stack books like this, and uh, and and and, it, and it's and it's great. No, but I think it's I think it's the exact it's the right thing to allude to, and so like the it's a, it's a sort of it's an extension of that of that same sort of gag and that same sort of beat isn't it sort of like in the in the in in, in the middle i think yeah completely and like it, like i like i talk about it somewhere on the podcast before but yeah i think ghostbusters was you know like it was the film that i saw like five times in the cinema and you know probably the film i've seen more than any other film and actually i was trying to think about whether or not i was like a fan although i'm a huge horror movie fan like i probably tend to uh more towards like uh like uh psychic horror stuff and i don't know i was like what other haunted house movies do i like and and i and actually like i, I find it a little bit hard to like like put my finger on like my favorite haunted house movie but like ghostbusters being a sort of like an ironic sort of like 80s riff on like on like ghost stories anyway is probably like uh, the, still like my most like beloved uh movie i mean with. it's fucking bulletproof as we all as we well know i mean uh, i mean and and, and 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 it's no secret that it's something of a key text for you in, in most in most areas you know you just half built a show around it yeah yeah yeah, yeah completely <laughs> do you have like what about you i mean in terms of like horror movies i i do love a, i do love a haunted house movie there's like i i you know i because I, I i i like the the um the nightmare of interior spaces what was what's that what's that word that you you and i were having a drink in town once and you were talking about sort of strange interiors that sort of go that, that don't match up what they call i know exactly what you're talking about you talk, yeah like the idea of just like actual like physical architecture being like space itself being haunted and our relationship to space being something that changes and with classic examples being uh house of leaves yes there we go that's the one. actually video games do a lot of that kind of stuff really like they're they're the real place where you can kind of have like that kind of uh that kind of like weird meta space where the dimensions of the world are like shifting around you in a way that means you can you can never get your bearings well that's yeah and i think and and it's and it's i like stuff i like stuff where where houses are treated a little bit like that and it feeds into sort of how you relate to larger domestic spaces when you're a child uh and and also what those spaces are like when they get translated into your dreams and they become sort of like nightmare places like you yeah. know i, I mean I, I i you know i i i i'm I'm my my standard dream architecture is 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 sort of a mixture of my grandparents' house, which I haven't been in since I was six, and like all of my schools ever, <laughs> and and, they, and it sort of merges into this sort of weird, incomprehensible place that sort of that that you can't ever truly escape from. So I kind of like places that where where the house itself is sort of feels in prison. Yeah, I, I suppose that's why we gravitate towards the sort of the Edwardian and the Victorian when it comes to this sort of thing because because uh lamplight that closes off the surrounding of the house so there's only the area of light around us and everything else turns fades into indeterminacy like i really have you seen the innocence have you ever seen have you ever seen uh, that? yeah what the the one the, the sort of the turn of the screw adaptation is it 
that's yes, yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made made in the sixties with the two kids, and and yeah, I, yeah, I, that's I think that's a really that's a great example of the kind of the kind of haunted house story that I you know that I particularly enjoy, and and it's just that 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 constant sense of am I mad or is is there something else going on here? Mm. There's also there's also like. Um, there's also to take it to the science fictional realm. There's also like you know there's there's a there's a Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who that I really like, <laughs> which is which which of course which you know it turns out there turns out they're to to be you know sort of aliens in the cellar. But it's but the whole but the but it's it, it but it feels more like a kind of Lewis Carroll esque kind of house of mad people up until we sort of get the, the, the we, we uh, it's, it's called ghost it's light. ghost light. I thought I thought yeah, right, yeah. yeah man yeah. you and I at some separate point I would love to kind of like sit down and because those a couple of those stories ghostlight and uh curse of yeah. fenric are kind of like weirdly very very kind of like uh embedded in part of my kind of like yeah like child, childhood horror and i would love to i've not revisited them as, as, as adult at all but uh, they're two parts of what is informally referred to as the ace trilogy because it's a sort of because they're all they're all about sort of aces past present and future sort of thing and what's the third? What's the third uh, is part? the final ever ever story of the of the show's of the show's original run, which is Survival, written by playwright Rona Munro, uh, which 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 has vaulting ambition in its writing, but it's got some sort of executional issues. <laughs> but that's yeah, got some <laughs> cat people on motorcycles. That's why I remember. Oh man, I love it though. I love it. I, I do. I mean, I I love all three. I mean, we should. Yeah, mate. If you want to, you want to talk to me about McCoy's final season. I am. I, I I will sit here for fucking hours. I've I've bored Joe Tini's tits. Before <laughs> I have listened to your three-part interview with Jodini on Doctor Who uh, like three times over <laughs> at least. I uh, yeah I, I uh, yeah. So anyway, man, because uh, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, well, maybe yeah, like at, at some point down the line. All right, I want to I want to pick your brain right, okay, about, cool. uh, <laughs> uh, about Ghostlight. Father David has this system where he takes sleeping pills and has like a nightmare in every room of the house in order to sort of like to sort of do a little bit more sort of like unconscious uh kind of like uh, supernatural mapping and it is the uh, sort of lynch lynchian sort of like exorcism meditation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of what he does. Yeah. Uh, and there's a little bit of backwards text in there uh when he goes into his dream world i forgot what it was that i put in there actually it's just like another bit of mambo number five. Oh right okay Maybe we could play it in reverse now, Ross, in, in the edit. One to the front and one to the side. Clap your hands once and clap your hands twice. And if it looks like this, then you're doing it right. Yeah, right there. I, I guess it kind of makes sense still if we talk about Mambo number five as this kind of, uh, as this, this, this kind of banishing spell then maybe it makes sense that the kind of the reversed version of it is some kind of like summoning version of it too. I know that doesn't quite map, but I, I think it, it kind of loosely makes sense. No, but yeah. it does. It does. Because if we, if we, if we are taking the, if we are taking the leap that the second part of the podcast is the podcast becoming possessed by the, by the, by the meta demon, um, then, then the fact that you've accidentally summoned him in the, in the, in the, in the mechanics of the first episode, it does make sense. If you want to, if you want to do that, <laughs> if you want to go there. I like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes complete sense. Um, so yeah, and like so, what we're gonna get into here, and this is gonna become like a motif throughout, like the rest of it is, and this is a way I think works with all times when you're trapped in a conversation with an intellectual person or a person who believes that they're an intellectual who you realise is smarter than you, which is to uh, to outstupid them. 
by suddenly lowballing everything that they say and just being as kind of like as deliberately ridiculous and truculent as possible. Uh, that 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 it's 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 a tried and tested system that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's worked for me many times in refusing to meet people at the level they want to have a discussion yeah. and instead just making fart noises. It's it's funny because I I what um, it, like I I like to think I've gotten over myself enough in 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 the intervening years. But what's funny that that is that is only recognisable to me from the other side of being the person who is being lowball there. <laughs> and I'm like you cunts. <laughs> but it's true because it, uh, yeah I mean because I because I, I, I'm a younger brother so I'm always trying to be too big for my boots and bringing up stuff that I don't that I'm trying to be intellectual and all the rest of it. I'm always yeah I I think it was Kurt Vonnegut's talking about how how all. You're, you're all sort of younger siblings are just constantly trying to enter the conversation they can't help it that's just how they that's how they are um anyway but yes no so i i recognize it i recognize it very distinctly because it's what my friend my friend chris used to do to me all the time whenever i was trying to be clever and he just and he just would just want to talk he just would deliberately start conversations about farting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can i tell you this this is something that somebody sent me and this is connected to the the legacy of mambo number five within horror yes tell me hit me man okay so uh the writer um rosie adams sent me a link to uh an interview with stephen king from the paris review she sent me this like shortly after the the episode originally came out so this is a quote from stephen king when i sit down to write my job is to move the story if there is such a thing as pace in writing and if people read me because they're getting a story that's paced a certain way, it's because they sense I want to get to where I'm going. I don't want to dawdle around and look at the scenery. To achieve that pace, I used to listen to music, but I was younger then and frankly, my brains used to work better than they do now. Now I'll only listen to music at the end of a day's work when I roll back to the beginning of what I did that day and go over it on the screen. A lot of times the music will drive my wife crazy because it will be the same thing over and over and over again. I used to have a dance mix of that song Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Baker that goes a little bit of Monica <laughs> in my life, a little bit of Erica, diga diga diga. That's what it says. So it says in the uh, in quoted here, diga diga diga. Uh, it's a cheerful calypso kind of thing. And my wife came upstairs one day and said, Steve, one more time, you die. So I'm not really listening to the music. It's just something there in the background. And uh, I don't know that kind of I don't know that, that that just like ties a ties a ribbon around it for me. I think that's just uh, that's, yeah. No, you yeah. What else can you say? The fact that you've the fact that the man the man himself is using that strange thing. As a, <laughs> but it's like the idea of it's like no the like I think but the idea of just like why listening to music. And listening to music with like a pace, even not avoiding the bit about Mambo Number no. Five, but how he used to listen to music and how that would kind of like keep him kind of like going through it, I think is kind of interesting. This also becomes a story in the second part where the main character starts willfully refusing to be a character and tries to kind of like like actually realizes that that forward progression, that diga diga diga, is the thing that like is leading them away from what they want, right? And so just kind of like plants their feet and just like refuses to be a character in a story anymore right 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 uh, right, right right yeah 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 I, so yeah so like it, ah because i i i was i was curious about this actually like well first of all just as, as an aside do you do you do you when you when you're writing do you have a particular sort of musical go-to or do you use music or do you use any sound or anything like that yeah but i weirdly i use the opposite of a, a diga 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 i use like very very 
like industrial drone music. Yeah, so I, I, me, I, I, I'm the same. Yeah, I use I use amb- I use ambient and drone. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I also I, I love this idea that like hidden in the background of every Stephen King novel, what you what you cannot hear but is always present is 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 mambo number it's just, five yeah it's 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 just hidden behind the light it's just there staring out at you behind behind the the bar the bars of the cl- of the letters it's just <laughs> it's it's the eyes are the eyes the eyes behind the grill of the drain <laughs> <laughs> in in stephen king that stare out through the bars they of the all so, mambo down here <laughs> We do have a little bit of Jessica. We've got oh, we've got her. That is so horrid. So yeah, you get a little bit about how like Lubega is this kind of like acoustic demonologist, and that's kind of leading us into the sort of like the actual exorcism proper, where the Neils are kind of further humiliated by forced hats. to wear little stupid crucifix yeah. hats and uh, and to chant uh, Mambo Number Five. And then Father David reads a bad review he's written of Terence Malick's yeah. Tree of Life to really rile up the demon and uh, bring him out into the open. And uh, yeah, that's that, and that's that's part one. I like, I think. Yeah, that's that's when that's when the screen goes white, isn't it? That's 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 the moment when you decided to make this a sort of the first part. When you that's the question I was mainly going to ask is that when you were writing writing this and you were you were talking earlier on about how you didn't necessarily know where you were going and yada yada yada. Did you know that you were only going to write the first part of something? Did you had you decided at least that it would be part one, or were you in the middle of this writing? Okay, I can't see where this is necessarily going to go, and you got to this point and you thought, actually, you know what, cliffhanger, boom, and you just tied it off there, and then and then decided to move on, and then and then and you made the part two decision at that moment. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I think for all of that part one, I was kind of writing into the unknown, and I was just kind of trying to let the story kind of like write itself it was it was in quite like a manic episode because you were in a steroidal byronic fugue at the time so (laughs) so so i think i got to that point i was just like i i feel like i've laid loads of foundations and i've kind of set this up but i have no fucking idea what like the like where things are gonna go next so it was like no yeah let's 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 tie it off and then uh and then reset that gig i went and did in geneva by the way angus was actually turned out to be one of the worst gigs of my life uh it's it's really sad actually the the promoter had a heart attack the morning before i arrived oh man i arrived at like the train station in geneva to get like a phone call from him going like i'm 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 okay but i can't put you up or sort of run the gig right he he'd, he'd arranged for one of his student friends to put me up afterwards and they uh they, they put me up in a in in a stairwell so i just had like a sort of like a couple of blankets or uh, in a kind of stairwell which had like an, a, an automatic light that kind of came on above me whenever any other student entered the building <laughs> there's about like you know 20 people living in this uh this big uh this big house and so i i was but i you know i just sat there all night and i listened to some jonathan goldstein podcasts i listened to like the entire back catalog of heavyweight and uh uh, and then in the morning I got up and I came back to England and that was, that was my, my, you, my kind of gig. You, you, <laughs> you gorgeous, gorgeous loony. You utter gorgeous loony. 
I, I, I weirdly, I had a lovely time. I had a lovely time in Geneva. I didn't get to go to CERN because I had a bag and like, you're not allowed to go to the Hadron Collider if you've got a bag, apparently. At least that was what my drug addled brain told me when I was looking at the website. I mean, I'm not sure if that's a matter of policy because that, that rather presupposes that anybody who turns up to work there, like it has to carry, like, you can, you're, 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 you, hey, why would that be a condition? <laughs> it's because you're gonna, you could steal a Higgs boson particle. Oh angus, no. Right? That's, that's it. <laughs> You could stick, you could nick it, you could put it in your knapsack. So like, there's nothing funny. like everything there is too big to nick. That's the problem. <laughs> it's like, like the smallest, the smallest bit is the size of the car. <laughs> so yeah, so like, uh, but if, if the best thing that came out of it was still that I, I wrote this fucking batshit story, <laughs> then like yeah. it's, that's all. It's all good. It all balances out in the long run. Only Nixon can go to China. Only Sutherland can go to Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's the end of part one of this little two-part imaginary advice reprise. Uh, I'll be uploading part two of this discussion very soon. Maybe immediately? Probably immediately. It, de it depends on how long the baby stays asleep. But anyway, like I mentioned at the start of the show, for $5, you can still access the Patreon back catalogue of Imaginary Prize during this hiatus of the main feed. Alternatively, if you, if you want to chuck me a couple of quid during the break to help me out with the writing costs, etc., uh, you can make a one-off donation to the show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash imaginary advice. Okay. Happy Halloween to you. You bloody freak. Um, take care. I'm back soon. <laughs>